Thank you for listening to the following film's podcast. When a magic helmet thrusts Noling Parthmore into a world of modern-day knights fighting supernatural evil, he's forced to become the hero he was destined to be. Today I'm joined by Dan Letts, the writer and director of the new film Alpha Rift, as well as the film's star, Aaron Dalla Vila. For more information about the film, go to alpharift.com. Big thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring the show, and thanks to Fort Worth for letting me use the song at the end. Enjoy the show. I am good. Do you, are you recording this like video, or are you doing just audio for your podcast? Just audio for the podcast, but I put the video on just for the uh, visual cues. So if I can see when you're completely bored or have no interest in my questions, I know when to move on. No, along. I'm just in a car. That's oh, okay, no worries. I don't, want, I don't want to be seen in a car on the internet, you know. But No, you won't be I'm seen not in dri- a car. I'm not, dri- I'm not driving the car, but I don't you know, want to look like I don't, I'm too busy to do this. It's just Understood. that uh, I just left the screening. So, how did it go? How was the screening? It was excellent. Everybody in there loved it. Very cool. Where are you at right now? Delaware. Really? What part? I weirdly enough, I used to live in Delaware. What part of Delaware are you in? Middletown. Middleton. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Aaron is on the moon, apparently. Yo, what up, Dan? I've always been on the moon, man. No, just like your background looks so like science fictiony. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in the booth right now. I'm in my booth. This is my uh, I kind of tricked out my voiceover booth. Cool. Yeah, I'll take my glasses. That's off good, man. That's good to hear that Delaware was uh, was good, man. Ken Theater was good last night too. Yeah, well, I think you know I think it's gonna do much better when people find out about it and then they start watching it at home. But you know. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I think the, right now is just the importance of tapping into the the audience right now, and um, you know, people are going to share about it, and and they already are. So, yeah. well, thank you both for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. I had the chance to watch the film last night, and I really enjoyed it. Um, oh, good. And, good. Yeah, this is. Thank you. I I'm not sure if you were a part of it or not, Aaron. When the pledge screamed at uh at fantasia did you go up for that were you a part of oh, that yeah yeah i was there in montreal okay because when i i interviewed the director for that over skype and Sir. he had this thing where then the writer walked in then the star walked in then another actor walked in and eventually i think there was about 10 people in the room and i'm yeah. not sure if you were a part of that call or not but I, I didn't have the time to go back and listen to it again so this may be the second time we've met i'm not sure I think it is. You okay. Know, I, p- potentially, yeah. I'm just going to say yes. Cool with that. Uh, yeah. Cool. That, well, that's awesome, man. What a small world. Yeah, I really enjoyed working with Pledge as well. It's a great little film. And I'm wondering, Dan, what was it? Um, when did you think of Aaron for this role? How did you find Aaron? And uh, talk a little bit about the this film and where this idea came from. Uh, the idea I've had for over 20 years, I, uh, came up with the idea back in 95 when, uh, um, uh, I was just, you know, spitballing ideas and I was thinking like, what if Batman really existed in the real world? And to be quite honest, you know, it would be very, it wouldn't be like the movies. It would be very weird. And then that evolved into a guy running a comic book shop who wanted to become a superhero. And then, you know, and then I wrote the script and it actually won a few screenplay competitions and stuff. But it was a very expensive movie to make. 
so it kind of got shelved and every five years or so i you know rewrite it and update it and uh and then just over the last like four years uh, my partner and i jim beckett were finishing up another movie called blood runners and we we're trying to figure out what to do next and i was like well i got this idea for alfred that's been you know sitting on the shelf for a long time and so we started working on that but it still didn't feel relevant because of the comic book angle, which has now been done so many times. It's really not fresh. And then I went to PAX, which is, you know, Penny Arcade Expo, big convention. And uh, while I was there, I just noticed so many people were playing tabletop gaming as well, not just video games. And that was it. I had an epiphany. I'm like, that's it. It's not a comic book. It's a game. You know, this guy is a gamer, an avid gamer. And, and as he grew up, he learned the strategy, the history, everything about, you know, this particular legend of the nobleman. And it made sense because then it's not just he's you know, reading about it. He's learning how to win. He's learning how to beat these guys, learning how to fight these guys. So when his when the you know mantle came to him, he would be completely ready. Because it was important for me that this guy gets this thing dumped on him. He's not planning to become a nobleman. It just gets thrown on him. But I wanted to show that he had enough life experience and he's been trained for it for his whole life, that the audience buys the fact that he can do sword fighting and, and understands this stuff. So it was really important to have a really solid backstory for this all to work. And, uh, and once I had that gaming hook, that was it. I had my epiphany and then everything just flew from there because the story was already in place. It was just, it was not fresh and relevant. And now I finally, and I was, once I was able to do that, I was to build it out, and as you see, it worked out. It feels good. It feels fresh, you know. Well, you take this idea of the last Starfighter mixed with tabletop gaming, and it's like kind of that idea. And you have to have somebody that is believable as both a geek as well as somebody with physical presence, somebody that can kind of vacillate between those two worlds. You can be an action hero and, you know, somebody that would run a comic book shop, a gaming shop. Right. But even with Last Starfighter, he was chosen because he was the best. True. In this movie, it's a bloodline. He's not the best. He's got. A, he's definitely not <laughs> the best at what he does, and he needs to like overcome some major hurdles to get there. He's, you know, it's it's in his G DNA, and he's ready for it. But it is clearly not. He is not the best guy for the job. But he just happens to be the only guy for the job. <laughs> so they got to <laughs> throw him in there. Yeah. And then what was it about Aaron that made you think this is a guy that can pull this off? Because actually it's a little bit more difficult of a role than you might think on a surface level. Um, yeah. I think if somebody wasn't doing it right, it would be very obvious how difficult the role is. But I think Aaron plays it very naturally and it feels like a comfortable fit for him. Yeah. I mean, um, I was looking for essentially a likable Marty McFly type, you know, like that whole Back to the Future, likable cat. Because a lot of this is a fish out of water. And I wanted to have someone who could be a fish out of water, but still be likable and still pull off the heavy lifting emotions when necessary. But when he's not doing heavy emotions, he needs to be likable, someone you can identify with, someone you can you know go along for the ride with. And so that's because that's how I wrote the character as as close to a quote regular guy as, as, as I could get. And, and even to the point where, like, most of these hero stories begin with the hero doesn't like his life and he wants a better life. Not with Alpharus. This guy is happy. 
he's got a great life. He's got a girl. He's got a job. He's got his dream business. Life is good. So when the call to do something bigger comes, it's not necessarily something he is ready for or even desires. So that's also a big part of this because I wanted it to, I wanted it to be a guy that for him to do the right thing, it's his choice. And it's not, oh, yeah, you know. My girlfriend is tied up by the bad guy and I got to go rescue her. It's not, this is not what it's about. This is about making life choices, the right choices, because it's the right thing to do and it's your destiny to do it. And so, you know, I hope I did. I, and by doing that, we avoided a lot of cliches too, for that matter. So. Absolutely. And, and Aaron, what was, uh, what was it like when you saw the screenplay? This is something that you felt like you were a good fit for or something. What were the challenges that you saw when you were initially uh, approaching this? I never get to play an, a regular guy. I never get to play an everyman. I'm always doing some, as you saw in Pledge, some psychopath or crazy or some yeah. sort of character role or something. So I never got to play the sort of milk toast vanilla everyman who has to find the line between being likable and then pulling on the thing. So it was a challenge. Uh, you know, and working with Dan on set, we found that middle ground. Uh, but when I read the script, I always get a sense whenever I read a script or whenever I get an audition, whether or not I'm going to book the role. And when I auditioned for Alpha Rift, my coach actually, he even said to me, he said, you're going to get a callback for this. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're just so right for this. You, you being you, you're just so right for this. Um, so... Yeah, I look back at it now, and it's definitely a character that I want to continue exploring. Uh, it's new territory for me, so I really hope that we find, and I think we will, find an audience for this. Um, I think Nolan is re relevant to a lot of people, a lot of gamers. I think uh, they're going to be able to see themselves in him, which is most important, connecting with the audience. And uh, I just want to go to sequel and just keep continuing and exploring this character. Well, it feels very authentic. Um, I don't know anything about tabletop gaming, but I think kind of like a lot of things, you might not know why, but you can smell inauthentic. Like when something's inauthentic, you can feel it. It just doesn't, it feels like this is right. Um, I'm not sure a hundred percent what that is, but it feels right. I, I, I was over the moon when film threat came out. Cause, cause you know, I'm being an actor. I'm so worried about and self-conscious about my work as, as they all are. You know, it's very hard for me to even watch my performance uh, in, in anything that I do. And when Film Threat's review came out that said, you know, this guy is utterly believable as a raised-on-role-playing tabletop game, I knew I did my job. You know, I knew I, I did the job that I set out to do. So I'm very happy, you know, so I'm very happy to hear that. It feels very authentic because that's what we chase in acting. Me personally, I chase authenticity. You know, that's my job. If I'm not being authentic and playing the character and doing the role, then I'm not doing my job. You know, I think today this is a job that I get hired to do. And it's a privilege, uh, you know, and I'm grateful for the opportunity because then you... you Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So this week when I went into Bookman's, I walked over to the Blu-ray section, to the Criterion section, which is usually where I start when I go in there and I start circling my way around the store, but I didn't get very far uh, this last trip because one of the first things I saw was the Criterion Blu-ray for Foreign Correspondent. 
If you're not familiar with the film, it's a Hitchcock film from 1940. Of course, it's black and white, and it's a spy thriller about a a reporter who goes to Britain uh, to uncover spies uh, right before World War II. Uh, breaks out. And this is a really fun film that I think deserves to be recognized amongst Hitchcock's better uh, spy thrillers. So you put it up there with North by Northwest and other films like that. I feel like it's been overshadowed by Rebecca because that year when this came out, Rebecca and Foreign Correspondent both came out that same year and both were nominated for Best Picture um, in the Oscars and Rebecca ended up winning. The only other director that I can think of that's done that, had two films nominated for Best Picture in the same year, was Francis Ford Coppola. I think that The Conversation and Godfather 2 were up in the same year. If I'm wrong about that, I apologize. I guess I could go ahead and fact check myself right now, but I'm already recording, so screw it. I'm just going to run with it. And I don't think any other director has done that. If I'm mistaken on that, please let me know. I'd like to know who the uh, third one is to do that. And this is one of the things I love about going into Bookman's because this is a film that I've been wanting to pick up this particular Blu-ray for quite a while now and there it was. I was so happy to see it and dove right into it when I got home that night, uh, something my wife had never seen. She really enjoyed the movie. This is not the type of film that she really goes for normally. So if you haven't seen Foreign Correspondent, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Definitely check it out. That's the great thing about going to Buckman's because you're always going to find something there um, that you wouldn't wouldn't expect, something you wouldn't anticipate. Just go in there and kind of like I do, and I start circling around the store where I'll start in the Blu-rays and I'll go over to the vinyl and start working through the books and the rare books, and I'll go over and find a puzzle for my wife or come around and look for uh, some housewares, things like that. Might even find some electronics or speakers, and I mean really. There's always something cool there. And remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. You know, you just happen to be doing movies, which is awesome. <laughs> you know, how many people get to do movies? I mean, it's a, it's really a blessing. Absolutely. And you're getting to do scenes with Lance Hendrickson. You're a yeah. li- living legend who I, I don't know what child's blood he's drinking at the end of the night every night that he somehow has hit this age and hasn't aged in like the last 25 years somehow dude and and not only that but he is one of the funniest guys i've ever met because i was at the bed and breakfast with him i gotta say man in my early career i've really been blessed to work with legends so far and working opposite lance i learned so much about acting and uh he's just one of the funniest guys one of the warmest guys and you know it's really funny because it's juxtaposed because he plays all these like badass characters and stuff but uh yeah i don't know what he's drinking either man because he looks great (laughs) so it's not a small role um this is a small film this is a you know small budget movie and a lot of times you'll see somebody that came in for a day, two days, and the name is all over the poster, and then you watch the actual film, and they're barely there. And he actually has a very significant role in this film. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's the main mentor character. I mean, this isn't my first film. I mean, I did. this is my fifth yeah. film. So I, I've done the cameo thing in the past, and it just doesn't work. So it was really important to have him be a pivotal, essential character to the movie. And, you know you got to plan everything out like to the 20th degree. And that really helped. Also, it just so happens that we brought him in the second half 
so we had the first of the shoot. So the first half, we had plenty of time to get our act. Our crew was really a tight, tight, efficient unit. So we were able to do a lot of stuff. And, you know, we still, it still took several days, but, you know, you know, but it still was like, we had our act together. We really had our act together before he showed up. And that's important, you know, big time. And kind of on that note, when you're doing a film like this, um, it's very ambitious to do something of this scale on a small budget. Were what were the challenges around this? Because you're trying to tell uh, a pretty large scale epic film, for lack of a better word. That but I, and you pull it off. And I'm wondering, is this something that you? wish you could do again and kind of increase the budget or is it something that you learned how to do these things on a smaller scale and you feel like this is the no, I need lane more for money. It. I need more money. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I did practically everything on this movie. I did props. I did sets. I did costumes. I did, um, you know, music. I did, I mean, I just editing. I did so much shooting cinematography. Uh, I did so much of it myself and, because I guess that was the only way I was going to be able to pull this off. You know, the only way I would be able to pull this off is I was literally working seven days a week for several years on this thing. And that was the only way I could, I could get the level of scope I wanted. So there was a lot of stuff where I was just like, you know, I can't afford to have, I mean, as a, just as a, as a, as a check, like after we made the costume, and uh, we're, you know, we're looking to do sequels and the like. And I literally sent the costume, a photo, you know, we already designed the whole thing. So we designed it, we made it, we know how it's made, everything. And then I sent it out to a, a house in LA to make more copies of it. And the price they came back to me with was insane to make a copy of something we already made. You know, they wanted over like $150,000 each for these, uh, those armors. You know, we made them ourselves. And it's just like, and I'm like, no, 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 you're not designing it. Just do this, follow this pattern, do exactly what we did. And like, yeah, it's $150,000. I'm like, seriously. So and it's those, just that. Your armors look what? good, though. They look like you spent money on them. They, they look great. Oh, well, we spent a lot of money, but we spent a lot of time, too. I mean, a ton of time. My poor wife had our entire kitchen table taken over while I was building armor. Because that's carbon fiber in a woven aluminum and stuff, mm -hmm. so it's really it's actually real armor. Because you know, being the <laughs> being the inexperienced armor maker that I am, I made real working armor. And some of the uh, the helmets, not all of them, but some of the helmets are actually made out of Kevlar and they're bulletproof. Because <laughs> I just went, I, I just kind of went overboard on materials. But then after a while, after working with Kevlar. There's a reason why Kevlar, I mean, Kevlar is bulletproof, which means it's almost impossible to cut. So yeah. I did a few things with Kevlar and it was just a nightmare to just work with it. To, so I ended up getting, I left, Ke I stopped using Kevlar and started using carbon fiber and um, woven aluminum or woven something. It was a metal, woven, woven steel or woven aluminum. I think it was woven aluminum, but that's why it looks so shiny and three-dimensional because it's mm -hmm. real. It's real metal woven in. So, um, yeah, I mean it's they're super cool. I mean, I I I still just love looking at them. I mean, they're pretty amazing. But the first the first pass, it's like, oh, this would be so cool. I'll make them like real, you know. But the working with Kevlar is a nightmare. So, but yeah, I mean, I haven't done it yet. But I think if I go to a shooting range, I think I'll put one of the helmets down range and just shoot at it and see what happens. <laughs> it so, is like seven or eight layers of Kevlar, you know. Nice. 
And Aaron, what's it like to act in one of those suits? And how much of the time are you in the suit when we see that on screen? Because I assume you didn't have a bunch of extra suits lying around to have a stuntman in it. No. Oh, we had a couple extra suits. Okay. We kept breaking. Yeah. The armor never broke. The armor was flawless. It's the soft points between the armor is mm. what we had problems with. Got it. All the, all the like, flexible parts were the ones that kept breaking. So... I, I was in the suit a lot. I was in the suit a lot. It, it got hot, but, you know, more importantly, though, and we did have our amazing stunt coordinator, Adam Danoff, who would do more of the, uh, you know, really intense stunts and stuff. So hats off to him uh, and his talent. Uh, I was more so blown away because, you know, Dan and I are friends now. And, you know, I've been to his house and I've seen all the work that went into this. And how much time he put into pulling this off. So what people should be thinking when they see this is, wow, he pulled that off for this much money. Just imagine if it was a bigger budget. You know what I'm saying? So that was, I was blown away when I got on set and I got in the suit and I was like, oh, wow, I'm in like a modern day night suit and I'm in an actual helmet, you know, and the, the Iron Man green screen thing, he you know, like it's really cool. It's a really great experience for me, but yeah, I was in that suit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I felt like a, I felt like a knight. (laughs) I felt like a knight, which is cool. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you look at that and even if the suit wasn't as good as it was, cause it looks great. You don't feel a sense of cynicism. I think you feel the work that you were putting into that, Dan, you feel that there's something that you can tell when everybody is putting their hearts into it, when it's not just somebody showing up for a paycheck, everybody that was involved in this project clearly loved what they were doing and was passionate. Oh about no, it. This whole thing ran on goodwill I mean, and money, of course, but there's no way we could have done. I mean, this is like, if you budgeted this out, it'd be like $5 million, movie, you know, oh, it's crazy. You know, it's just, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work, a lot of work, a lot of, you know, cut fingers i mean there's a running joke this finger has more scar every scar on this finger tells a story and i'm there's just constantly like cutting my hands and chopping smashing my fingers and everything to make this thing work but it's crazy i mean but i you know and i was there to i mean i don't um believe in taking jobs for paychecks you know i really take the work really seriously so i was there to get do the job and do the work and and really be invested and know know my know my uh lines and know my you know intentions and all that stuff showing up to set because you know i take this stuff very seriously well and that's one of those things that it can just kill the momentum if you're not prepared you don't know the lines you're not in that it takes you two three four takes to get into that place and then you know if that's the key with micro and small budget filmmaking. You have to be able to move on. You don't have the time and the luxury of spending all day to get that one line right. I also hey, you guys hear me still? Yeah. Yeah. I also find Okay, that- yeah. My my the car just put me into safe driving mode. So I no more video, but I can hear you and talk okay. back. I, I also find that, you know, I mean, me right now I'm fighting to get people to know who I am more. So there's a hunger. You know, that's like every time I do a project, it's me putting myself on the line 
you know, and I know people who do get hired who just kind of take the paycheck and, you know, they're more established and stuff. I, I don't ever want to become that, you know, because, uh, I, I, I mean, you can always make money, you know, you, you can always make money. It's not about that. It's about really giving quality work. Um, and that's what satisfies me at the end of the day. Absolutely. Cause if you're, you spend a good piece of your life outside of the people that you know and love and you're doing this thing and it's taking up so much of your time, so much of your emotional bandwidth is being thrown into this thing, this career. Um, if the work at the end of the day, isn't something that your heart's in that, that would be a really, um, I would imagine empty and frustrating pursuit. There would be no point in pursuing no. this profession where it's all based on the subjective opinion of someone else. You know what I'm saying? Like, unless mm -hmm. you have your own money to make your own project, you're basing it off of other people. I go on tons of auditions. There, I, I should tell you about the ones that I don't get. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm not enjoying the work and I'm just doing it for a paycheck, I can go sell reverse mortgages and make, make way more money. So it's, yeah. it's never about that. So, yeah, like you said. And then what are the things that you want to do? What are the things that you are attracted to? Because I've seen very, just like I mentioned in the beginning, the pledge, and then this, these are very different characters, very different roles. So you have range. Yeah. And it's, you know what? I love to hear you say that because Chris, because uh, it's exciting for me because I was worried I was going to get typed after pledge came out. Uh, and I was worried I was going to be stuck only in horror. Uh, but that didn't happen. And then I've played different roles. Um, the, there are a few things on my list. Like I want to break into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, well, first off, I want Alpha Rift to become a franchise. You know, I believe. Yes, yes, and, yes. On that one. <laughs> I mean, I believe it is a three-picture, you know, seven-season TV show. You know what I mean? Like I believe in the brand. I believe in Dan Lance, and I believe in. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I love this character, and I want to continue expounding that character because I think it's something – it's new territory for me, like I said before. Uh, there's other specific roles that are I'm drawn to, like I'd rather play the Riddler over the Joker, um, and I'd rather play Sp Scarlet Spider-Man, you know, a mm -hmm. version of Spider-Man within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I'm open to it, you know, and then I like gritty roles like Robert Pattinson in Good Time. I'm developing great role, great right movie. Now. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, you know, that shows that I'm, you know, layered and nuanced and all of those things. Um, and then, you know, I would like to do a romantic comedy. I have not done a romantic comedy yet. I think that would be really fun. I think I'd. Uh, it'd be a challenge for me. So I, I'm experimenting and I'm, you know, playing, I, you know, I so. think, but I. I would like to chime in on that one, though, because, you know, uh, I, I really think what you and Rachel did with the Nolan and Gabby, like, you know, you mm -hmm. know, bro bromance, romance, you know, I think you, you nailed it. You know, the fact that the girl of your dreams is right next to you, you just don't notice it. It's such a common, you know, common thing. And the way you played it out is, you know, I won't do spoilers, but, you know, your reactions of when you guys finally get back together are so funny. Is that so real, you know? Yeah, the, the relationship between two of you is incredibly believable. It's actually, it's quite charming. And it's funny that you bring up a series because this almost did feel on some level like a pilot where oh. the, it felt like this universe, there was more story to be told here. 
take the first Dan Dan Lance says this. Take the first sixty move, minutes of the movie. There's your pilot. Yep. Yeah, I actually actually yeah. the script was written in a way that if we wanted to turn it into a pilot, we could have just chopped it at the sixty minute mark, and it would have been a pilot. And you know, and it's just that I think, you know, when you think about series and stuff, I think we wanted to just get it out there and get more people to know what it is, get more of a fan base before mm-hmm. we take it to that next level. You know, I'm a firm believer that you have to crawl before you can walk. Well, there's a um, walk before you can run. I think anybody that was a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer would be very comfortable with this show. It feels like it's that in that lane of it's got a whole lot of heart, but it's fun. It has action in it, but it's just, it's not taking itself overly serious, but there are emotional beats. And it just, I think if you like that, you should definitely give this a shot. Something I would recommend for anybody that was a, a Buffy fan. I'll take that. That works for me. We'll take that, man. (laughs) So where can people find the film? What's the best way to, where should I send people? It's uh, right now is in the, is what they call the initial run. So it's in theaters and uh, for rent on demand and iTunes and voodoo and Amazon prime video and Google um, and all your cable TV platforms on demand. So it's all over the country in several ways. Redbox too. Uh, it's out there. Just That's go great. to any of your major providers where you would watch a new movie. You know, when they say new in theaters, yeah. that's what yeah. this is. So wherever those movies are, this is there. Um, and it's a letter A. So it's near the top of the list for a lot of them. So very smart. Awesome. Well, thank you both for taking the time out of uh, the I think this is going to be something that connects with people. I think you're going to find your audience and because uh, there's a, there's a hole. There's something I haven't seen anything like this in quite some time. So I think that people are going to gravitate towards this for sure. Well, it's, it's actually part of my motivation because I have three kids and I remember, I mean, they're a little older now, but still one of them is a teenager. And it's like, you know, when you have the, the Pixar movies are great when they're little, little, Mm-hmm. But then when they get to be like 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, even like in their early 20s, it's like, you know, there's not much you can watch with your fam- as a family no. on TV. There's, there's a lot of stuff for the little kids. And then there's the hardcore stuff that your kids would be too embarrassed to watch with you. And this definitely fills that hole of like, you know, you got kids who are, say, like 10 to 20. Mm-hmm. You know, your parents can watch it. You can watch it. Everyone can watch it and enjoy it without being embarrassed. I mean. Like I said, it's essentially a Marvel movie without the Marvel budget, but it's still yeah. a solid story and still enjoyable. So, absolutely, and it's um, there's this whole lane of films and I, that I want my 11 year old to discover, but I don't want to be the one that shows him because I, I would be wildly inappropriate for me to share this with my kid. But I want him, you know, I'll leave the Blu-rays around and those kinds of things, and hopefully he'll just put it on or I'll put it on and leave the room. And maybe that's how he finds clockwork orange. It's not going to be me that showed him <laughs> uh, yet. And so this is one of those rare films that I, are, that I could sit down with him and enjoy. So th- thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's important to me. I mean, I just think, you know, I mean, also it's, you know, simple business. I mean, there's not a lot for people to watch in that area. So, True. you know, I, hopefully it's filling a need because like I said, I mean, Marvel movies fill that need, but there's only so many of them. And then what are you going to watch? You know, and this is literally, you know, I I always say, if you love Ant-Man, you love Wonder Woman, you're going to love this movie. 
you know, yep. it's exactly in that exact same zone. The comedy, the violence is, you know, at that level that it's right in there. That's the zone, you know. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for taking the time today out of your Saturday. I really appreciate it. And best of luck. Thanks, thank everybody. you. And thanks for having us. And thank great. You. Thanks, oh, one guys. more note. Oh, yeah. Uh, one more shout out. Go to alpharift.com. It's our website. You can subscribe to the, the website. And then every time there's a new announcement, some new merchandise, new games, new short film. We're going to do short films, comic books, board games, you know, new, new, new places to see it. If you get on there and not mailing list, you'll get all things Alpha Rift sent to you. Well, it seems like the tabletop game would be the natural tie-in for this. Oh, we have it. We're just kind of waiting for the world to discover Alpha Rift as a movie. And then Perfect. we're going to release the tabletop game in a couple months. It's just, we don't want to dump it all on the world at once. We want to like get the following. And then when we drop the tabletop game, we want to have a lot of subscribers by then, you know? Awesome. Well, yeah, and I will put the link in the show notes. So if wherever you're listening to this, just click on the link and go subscribe. So thank you again, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Take care, guys. You too. Later. Bye. You too. Bye.